Coming up, I sit down with Howard Beck from GQ Sports to talk about, of course, all things Brooklyn Nets basketball. Where is the rumor level around the NBA when it comes to Damian Lillard? If not, coming up, I'm joined by GQ Sports' Howard Beck to discuss all things Brooklyn Nets basketball. From what the Damian Lillard trade speculations can inform us about Brooklyn to where this team could possibly try to go on the free agent market and the general state of chaos that does seem impending around the NBA as the offseason unfolds and the draft approaches. We dive in on a great conversation coming up next. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ah, yes, my friends, it is the Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. I am Adam Armbrick, breaking down the New York football giants on the One Giant Podcast with my boy Andy Mack and your New Jersey Devils on the Devils Puck Luck Podcast with Danny McDonough. We thank you for making us your first listen of the day. We're free on all those great platforms. And remind you that today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use promo code LOCKEDONNBA. For $20 off your first purchase, last-minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. And what we are guaranteed is having an excellent conversation with Howard Beck from GQ Sports. You know him from across the NBA landscape over the last 20 years, basically. And he obviously has a lot of insights around the Brooklyn Nets, what it could mean this offseason, the decision-making process this team is going through, and how they can continue to tread water, potentially. Let's dive in on this conversation. All right. Once again, as promised, the Locked On Podcast Network provides you a next level insight around the NBA offseason, potentially what could be coming down the free agency pike. And for us, the Brooklyn Nets. And that's why we're excited to once again welcome back in Howard Beck, formerly of SI Now, Bleacher Report, New York Times, and the LA Deli News, now a contributor to GQ Sports and the Locked On Network. Howard, how are we, sir, on a Wednesday? Uh, doing okay, Adam. As uh, I mentioned before we got online, I was at game five. I was in the locker room for a lot of champagne and cigar smoke and everything else. Uh, and, uh, I'm still kind of recovering from soaking in the nuggets, uh, championship glory and, 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 and sleep deprived because of, uh, uh, airline madness. So did you show more excitement and joy than Nikola Jokic did in winning an NBA championship? <laughs> just, just as a person, just viewing it. I think it wasn't a hard threshold to get across. No, but I'm 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 jaded. I've I've you know how many championships have I I've I've, I've I've been in way more championship locker rooms than Nikola Jokic has. With all due respect <laughs> to the Finals MVP, I've I mean I've I've been doing this for you know 26 years, and you know uh, I've I've seen my share of uh, champagne and and uh, merriment in a locker room. So, but uh, no, it was it was fun. Look, listen, the, the Nuggets earned that thing um yep. in so many ways and the fun thing about seeing a team do it for the first time is that it's the first time and they're not jaded at all and and i will say actually even the repeats that i've seen um over the years i don't think it ever gets old to guys i do mm. think there there's like i don't know what a tiny little percentage of extra joy or elation or feeling of accomplishment there is but there is nothing like a team winning it for the first time and if you talk to teams that have won multiple they will even tell you like 
So if you rank them, you know, is it your first one? Is it your second one? Whatever. And there's always something about the first one because it's yeah. the first. And so anyway, the Nuggets, uh, that was awesome. And I was so glad that uh, as part of the assignment that I was doing for GQ Sports, um, I was in the locker room. That story will post hopefully sometime around the same time this podcast does. But uh, I was behind the scenes uh, during the setup for the whole thing, too. And um, fun to watch it all kind of unfold. Incredible. So we'll uh, obviously, hopefully, former Brooklyn Net Bruce Brown, who now is an NBA champion, uh, will be yeah. able to send some of those good vibes the Brooklyn Nets way in the coming seasons. But as it pertains to the Brooklyn Nets, the biggest offseason topic that we want to get to first is one that Doug Norrie and I discussed yesterday. We gave our predictions for this offseason. We've both planted our flag in the very fertile ground of Damian Lillard is not going to be a Brooklyn Net. What are you hearing about all of these rumors? Because this is the right time for the speculation to happen. It's the right time for players and organizations to put out all of the feelers to see what's potentially possible. But are the Brooklyn Nets real players for Damian Lillard if Portland puts them on the trade block? It's been a week or so since I last kind of made the rounds on some any Nets scuttlebutt. But it's interesting. The last two conversations I had with people – Regarding the Trailblazers in general, and both of these conversations ended up pulling the nets into it, um, went down the same basic path, which was, oh, Blazers nets trade. Um, yeah, possible, but it's not Lillard to the nets. It's Bridges and or whatever to the Blazers, and it's the nets maybe trying to get in position to take Scoot Henderson. Now, that those conversations predated the reports about the Pelicans trying to move up to the, to the number two pick, presumably to get Scoot Henderson. So mm-hmm. one of the things that's, I think, really difficult, and I don't want to get too deep into, into our, you know, the, the draft trade speculation necessarily right now, we can get to it. But one of the things that's difficult right now with all of that is that um, we don't know who the Hornets are going to take it to which means we don't know who the Blazers will have available to them for sure at three, nor do we know if somebody's going to move up to one of those two spots, um, especially to the two spot, especially someone's moving up to get Scoot Henderson, um, because I think Scoot falling to the Blazers has ripple effects for the Blazers and has ripple effects for how they use or trade that pick. Um, and again, I, like I just thought, I, I thought it was a really interesting concept, the idea of basically some combination of like Scoot and Anthony Simons to the Nets for whatever bridges and stuff, because right. Listen, uh, every indication I get, and this can change on a freaking dime, man. Like this can, you don't know which morning Damian Lillard could wake up and go to them and say, guys, it's time. I'm not predicting that. I'm not saying he should. I'm not saying he will. I'm just saying that these things aren't an issue until they are. And, right. and, and a player is happy until he's not, or satisfied until he's not. He's patient until he's not. And none of us know when that day may come or if it ever may come. For Damian Lillard. And I think his, his interview with Brian Custer last week on Showtime was a bit of a mixed bag. People are seeing it through whatever lens they want. People in Portland are seeing it completely through the lens of Damian Lillard saying, but I, I still plan to be here or I want to be here, or whatever the heck mm-hmm. his, his, his latest version of that was. Everybody else who's not in Portland or not invested in the idea of him staying there <laughs> is looking at it and going, when Custer asked him about four possible teams and which one he'd most want to land with, he was like, oh, Miami, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Obviously. I'm, you know, Bam Adebayo is my guy. Um, when you're trying to tamp down speculation, 
you don't eagerly without even thinking for two seconds, like that was a split second reaction. He's been asked versions of these kinds of questions for years already. Dame is a vet. Dame knows what he's doing. Dame didn't have to answer. He could have punted on that. And he didn't. He went straight to, oh, Miami. Miami would be great. I love Bam. And then it was, and then after that, Brooklyn. That, that part got clipped out for some reason. Uh, clearly an, an anti-Brooklyn conspiracy. Um, <laughs> but that, but but if you listen to the whole thing, he immediately then goes, or or Brooklyn, because Mikhail's my guy. Mm-hmm. Um, that he answered that so emphatically indicates to me that, like, it's not absolute. Like, he's, th- those things, I'm not saying it means he wants to be traded in Miami or Brooklyn. I'm just saying he didn't bat it away. So people are going to see it through whatever lens they want to all. But my feeling right now is this, there is no Damian Lillard trade until Damian Lillard goes to the Blazers and says, I want to be dealt if he ever even does that. Um, And every indication as of right now, 1108 AM Eastern daylight time on June 14th hasn't happened. So I don't think there's any reason for us to believe he's going to be dealt. Therefore, no reason to believe that the Nets would be acquiring acquiring him. And therefore, the Nets Blazers trade, if there is one, is maybe involving trying to get their young guys in their pick. Well, that's I, I think is interesting because I've always been of the mindset when it comes to Damian Lillard that the organization is going to wait to get through the draft to see how that unfolds and go back to Damian and say, this is what we're thinking with you, right? And if it's without yeah. you, we can always make the necessary moves from that point forward. But if you're Portland, your relevancy right now in the short term is directly tied to keeping Damian Lillard. So it doesn't yeah. seem like there's an impetus to make a knee-jerk reaction or to over-pursue something. Now, the other part of that from a Brooklyn standpoint is it seems like the Nets are not in the market to be moving Mikhail Bridges. We, we've constantly said if an offer comes along that just feels like it'd be malpractice to refuse it, yes, maybe they would listen to it. But by and large, if the Nets are trying to potentially add talent, th- does this situation with Damian Lillard inform to you how the Brooklyn Nets could be approaching a DeJounte Murray possibility or a Pascal Siakam if Toronto decides to go that way and anyone, or is it more likely that the Nets are going to stand pat going forward? I'm very curious about this question, even more broadly speaking, which is do Sean Marks and actually, you know, Joe Sy for that matter, the owner does ownership and front office believe that their uh, goal right now should be to use what they've got, patch it up on the fly as qu- as quickly and as as well as they can and stay highly competitive and by highly competitive i mean you know you are absolutely a playoff team top 6 or so um i don't even mean play in team right like maybe the fringes of of of, of the 6 7 race or something right but like if you want to do that they have a path to do that they have enough interesting pieces to kind of you know a small deal here or, you know one uh, one signing one trade whatever and yeah, you could be in that pack behind Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, Cleveland. Um, you could be probably on par with the the Knicks. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's other teams coming too, by the way. So, like, but you, they could do that. I don't know for sure. I don't, I don't pretend to know what they're thinking right now on this. But I will say this just to, to kind of complete the, the loop on this. They don't have their, their picks. We get that. Um, you're not going to tank. Get that too. Fine. But they've got some buffer. Like the picks are the sunk cost. Sean Marks didn't mind sunk cost in the past, although 
granted he and, and, and Kenny Atkinson got a team to overachieve that made those picks less valuable. So it didn't feel maybe as painful when some of them went out, but um, I don't, this is a very pragmatic front office mm. and, and I think ownership too. I don't see them as being ones who are going to be like, Oh, we, we got to keep winning because those picks, it'll be embarrassing. I think, you know, they've created a buffer with, with the other picks they've acquired from Phoenix and elsewhere. Um, I think, and this is just a guess. My read is they're not completely sold on either path. It's not a teardown. It, and it's not an immediate like pressure to rebuild and try to give some semblance of winning because we sold everybody's season tickets based on the idea of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And now they're gone. And now we got to give them something else. Like, right. I think they're going to do what a team in the situation is supposed to do, which is play it cool. If there's a great deal to be made, make it. You've got the assets. They they have, you know, they're in the top, I think, top three, four, five in the in the NBA in terms of assets to deal right now if somebody becomes available. Lots of interesting players, lots of picks from other teams, especially. They can make a deal, but I, is that the right move? And then on top of that, I'll, I'll, I'll stop after this, but like Mikhail Bridges is going to be 27 this summer. Like, okay, he's right in the thick of his prime. Mm-hmm but he's also probably more of a one B than a one a. And so if the idea is to turn this around and win immediately and keep Mikhail bridges, you got to go get your one a or a couple more one B's so that you've got, you know, a, a semblance of just like really interesting talent. That's, you know, all-star level, but not LeBron James MVP type level, right? Like they don't have a, yeah. there's no potential MVP on this roster. There's a bunch of really interesting players. Um, and, and we don't know what a full season of Bridges as as the hub of your offense looks like yet. Uh, so, I mean, which all leads me all to this. I don't mean to be provocative in saying this. If I had to guess, I think they're more likely to eventually trade Mikael Bridges than than keep him and, and be quote unquote building around him. I don't think I don't think he's the player you necessarily build around. With all due respect to him, great guy, great character guy, uh, becoming a very 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 good player. But the end goal is still to get like another. Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving type of, of core. And I don't, I, I don't know what else, else their path is. And because Bridges is 20, if Bridges were 23 and playing at this level and you knew there was more uh, to come and you had plenty of time, it'd be one thing. He's 27. I think he's more valuable to other teams that need him as the missing piece than he is to the Nets as a foundational building block. Back to the discussion with Howard Beck in a moment. But first, got to tell you about our title sponsor of today's episode, and that is Game Time. You know that buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game Time is a fast and easy way to buy tickets for all those sports, musical, comedy, and theater opportunities near you. Subway Series right now in New York. Mets, Yankees, why don't you get in on the action there? Head over to the Game Time app, and you know that you'll be able to get some killer deals on last-minute tickets and the best price guaranteed so you can stop stressing over tickets and start getting hyped for those good events that you want to be in on. Flash deals, last-minute tickets, that's going to be there for you. Easy to find and buy tickets for every kind of event in your area. Lowest prices guaranteed, even event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all those great things. So it's a safe way. It's an easy way. It's a fast way to get to all those events that you want to get to. Forget about planning month in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and so much more. 
You go ahead and download the Game Time app, create an account, and use promo code LOCKEDONNBA. You'll get $20 off your first purchase. Terms do apply. Again, create an account, redeem code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. And now, back to the conversation. Okay, so before we, we talk a little bit about getting beyond the draft even and just where some of the speculation is around veteran players and teams that are in pursuit of championships and maybe some guys on the roster for the Brooklyn Nets being valuable. On, on the point about Mikhail, do you then, would you then think with uh, no commitments, we won't hold this, hold this against you, but do you think that it's more likely that the move of, of Mikhail Bridges would be happening sooner, you know, this year or two years from now? Because you mentioned that age range you wait two years to move him, his value could be at its pinnacle or it could be a big enough sample size as the lead man potentially potentially in Brooklyn or other players come along, right? And other teams start to look at Mikhail and say, yeah, once upon a time, as we heard during the trade deadline this past season, he was worth four first-round picks. Now we're going to Brooklyn and we're saying maybe two, maybe two first-round picks. Maybe a player gets involved here. Do the Nets need to worry about monitoring that value as they move through what is a very team-friendly contract for Mikhail? Yeah, I don't think you necessarily look at it that way. You're not, I don't think you're trying to project whether his value is increasing or decreasing. I think this is more determined by other market forces, meaning, all right, we're, you know, we're just past the finals. We're, we're fully into trade, into draft uh, season now. And then free agency is just beyond that. Teams, if they haven't already, are, are you know, and probably have already, um, but are formulating their offseason plans. So, if you're the Memphis Grizzlies and badly need a high-end wing to complete your your championship potential core that you're looking to build, the John Morant thing notwithstanding, um, if you are the uh, trying to think of like if you're if, well, if you're the Trailblazers and you're just trying to you know extend Damian Lillard's career there and give him belief that you can start competing at a high level again, um, maybe if you're the Heat. There are any number of teams that would kill to have Mikhail Bridges. No question. We know how valuable he was when teams were chasing him a year ago when he was still with the Suns. He remains just as, if not more valuable now. So the point is this. I don't think the Nets necessarily go into the summer thinking, all right, Mikhail Bridges, man, um, he was already really valuable when we got him and his value has only gone up because of the way he finished with us. Let's sell high right now. Maybe they're thinking that. But I think more likely than anything else is, you trade him if you if somebody makes you a great offer. Like you don't have to shop him. Everybody in the league, especially contenders that need him as a missing piece, or fringe playoff teams that want to solidify their playoff standing, or a team like the Blazers that's just trying to be relevant again for other reasons. There are a ton of teams that would love to have him, and I think would pay a steep price. And if somebody makes the Nets, you know, a, you know, blow them away type of offer, excuse me then you trade him like, the, the, like this is not a sentimental front office, right? right. Sean Marks is, is uh, from the Spurs school of uh, heartless transactions. Um, also known as the Danny Ainge school of heartless transactions. And he has no Spurs ties whatsoever, but those are the people I think of first is like, you just do what you got to do. And um, you know, the, when you you're forced at gunpoint essentially to, to tear down a plausible contender last season and trading Kyrie Irving and trading Kevin Durant. You recovered well because you made two really good deals and got, you know, especially in the Kyrie deal, way more than I, anybody ever anticipated they could get. Mm -hmm. um, but it, but it's, 
you did not plan to have a roster that looks like this and you got to start sorting it out. Uh, this is the time to do that. And again, I think, I think if, if anybody wants to blow you away with an, a Mikhail Bridges offer, given his age and his relative value in the market right now, I think you probably do it. It's very, it's, it's fascinating, man, because I know at least for, it depends. It's divided in the Brooklyn Nets fan base. And, and I fall into that category too, of when I think about, Mikhail Bridges and showing up from the trade and seeing him perform and he's everything you want the yeah. face of a franchise type player to be. And also, you know what the ceiling is right now for this team. It's not Eastern conference finals, right? It's first round playoffs and see who you match up against and whether or not you can make some noise. So I, I it's a, well, th- that, that weight of expectation. Go ahead. Yeah, no, even that though, sorry to interrupt, but even that um, like, okay. They were the sixth seed, but they were the sixth seed based on the buffer that they had built up before those trades, right? Yeah. Without any major changes, uh, they're probably sinking, not rising. Like, the Heat finished a game behind them, and the Heat underachieved, as we all know, in the regular season. I don't know what's next for the Heat, but, like, the Heat are a better team than the Nets, clearly, because the Heat were just in the finals. So that means the Nets are now no better than seventh, and the Hawks underachieve perennially, but now they have Quinn Mm -hmm. Snyder from day one, and they'll make some moves this summer. I think the Heat, or excuse me, the the Hawks will be better. So that's two teams that could be leapfrogging the Nets immediately, knocking them to to no better than eighth. And now you're in, like, you know, Bulls-Raptors range, and the Bulls will probably just sit on their hands because that feels like that's just what they're doing these days. (laughs) Yeah. The Raptors are not going to sit on their hands. The Pacers have a really good young team and would have been even closer to play-in slash playoff contention if not for Tyrese Halliburton getting hurt uh, last season. And the Pacers are going to make moves for sure. The Magic are going to be are, are going to be better. I don't know what the Wizards are going to do um, with a new front office, so I'll, I'll dismiss them. But I'm just saying, like, I'm not expecting all these teams to pass the Nets. But if the Nets don't do anything significant, they're not staying at six. Like they're just yeah, the shine of, of what they accomplished that, that that's going to wear off pretty quickly as you get into yeah. the regular season without making adjustments. Right. Yeah. Um. So in that regard, then when we think, when we look ahead then to free agency, because other part of this, even beyond it can happen in and around the draft, we know that, but Doug and I have also on the podcast been of the mindset that this off season could potentially be pure chaos from an NBA landscape level, that there could be a ton of moving pieces. Yeah, and that's what you dream (laughs) on, right? That's what we said. We want total mayhem because it's good, not only for content, but also just to shake things up and and really get a new new version of what the NBA is going to look like. Small pieces that the Brooklyn Nets have, like a Dorian Finney-Smith, like a Royce O'Neal, can be attractive to other Mm -hmm. teams that are trying to make those those back-end moves after they get a Pascal Siakam, a Fred Van Fleet, as he's opted out of his contract. Do, do players like that? Because I don't want to put you down specifically on those two guys. But do those veteran-type wing talents, there's always a market for them. Do you yeah. anticipate that that's going to be a viable option for the Nets to say, whatever we're going to be this year, it behooves us to, again, strike while the value is high on a couple of guys that can be contributors. And while they could be good for Brooklyn, like, they don't move the needle in terms of what the ceiling is going to be in this upcoming season. I think that's exactly it, Adam. I mean, that really, like, it's the flip the inverse of this would be the other way to look at it would be we have exactly the kind of players that a superstar would want to play with so if we if there were somehow a path to keeping Mikhail Bridges and Dorian Finney-Smith and Nick Claxton um then then yeah cool great like that's exactly the kind of team that I don't know Kevin Durant should want to play with um 
If only we but, could get a Kevin Durant type player. If, if only. Yeah, but those guys never pick the Nets. That's just no. never going to happen. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, so listen, like, th- like that is a path though. It is a path of sorts. It's kind of what like the Knicks are doing, right? Um, the Knicks have built a really solid core. There's not a superstar there with all due respect to what Jalen Brunson just did. And Jalen Brunson's ceiling is going to be way higher than anybody anticipated it would be, but they're still like a superstar away. Right. And, but a superstar can look at them now and go, you know what? I like what's there. And if I can get there without them giving up too many of those pieces to get me there, I can win with those guys. That's exactly how I think any superstar would look at the Nets right now too. Like there's a lot of good, interesting pieces, but they're all complimentary guys, high end complimentary, but complimentary. And I, I, and I mean that in in regard to Mikhail Bridges too, he's a complimentary piece of sorts. He's just a high level one. He could be your number two or your number three. I don't think he's a number one. And so the second that the Nets made those trades last, uh, you know, however many months ago, um, my thought was, wow, they did really well to get those guys. And man, those guys are going to be really valuable when it's time to flip them for something else. Because I, I think that you're, when you're doing this on the fly, you don't set out one day to say, I'm going to pair Mikhail Bridges with Spencer Dinwiddie, with Dorian Finney-Smith. With like, that's not, you're not building a team. Like people keep saying, well, what, what are the guys? They, they, they did this on the fly making the best deals they could under the circumstances. You did not set out to put these specific players together for the long term. They weren't supposed to fit. Um, so you got a lot of you got a lot of three and D guys or just a lot of interesting long wing types, whatever. They don't need all of them. And other teams are going to be calling. So, you know, teams will be interested in Royce O'Neal. Teams are going to be interested in uh, you know, I think Watanabe's like a free agent, right? But like all these these pieces that were all kind of a little overlapping, um, teams are you know the nets don't need all of them and other teams do need or going to be coming for for some of them um i don't know which will stay which will go that that's what we'll find out in the weeks ahead but yeah there's a market a team teams will be chasing dorian finney smith i have no doubt in my mind i don't need intel for that he's a really good player who's much more valuable to a contender as just as mikhail bridges is um than to the nets when they're in this kind of weird you know middle state of trying to figure out their next path so last couple of questions before we let Howard Beck get out the door. Uh, obviously, always appreciative of his time. And he's been making appearances across the entire network. So you can get these insights, which I think are always informative to hear the way an outsider looks at every team. And then how does it relate back to the Brooklyn Nets? Because you can't just look at it through our prism of, which fans love to do, hey, for Damian Lillard, we'll give you Joe Harris. We'll give you Spencer <laughs> Dinwiddie's expiring contract and a pick. What do we think? Good deal. A couple of seconds. Um, yeah, a couple. We'll throw a couple of twos. We don't want it. We're not selfish. We'll throw in a couple yeah. of twos for you. Um, rights to swap in the second round. But if we if we fast forward here and say that the Nets move through the draft and they get at least one ready to contribute player now, ideally a wing, and maybe another guy for the backcourt that's a little more developmental, we can paint the picture where Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, Royce O'Neal, whether it's this summer or at the deadline of the upcoming season, can start to be moved off of as the younger talent comes in. But in free agency, are there guys that you think the Brooklyn Nets could pursue at the right price point with the TPE, with the MLE, to give themselves a little bit of, we keep using the word cushion, around not falling off the cliff if they choose to move those veterans? Because it's a very slippery slope from going from, yeah, we have these veteran guys, we need the 1A, we don't have it, we move them, and suddenly a guy like Yuta Watanabe, who I'm a big fan of, and I hope the Brooklyn Nets choose to bring back, but we saw him get absolutely buried on the bench after the trade because he's not a valuable player on a non-championship team 
and he'll just be a stat guy if, if you don't have some clear path forward when you approach the upcoming season. Yeah, no, he was really valuable when he had all those open shots playing off of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, right? So, um, again, that's the template for other teams that have some version of that who are going, oh, that dude plays really well with stars. We have a we have we have a star or two, and we need we need some shooting around him. Um, so, I, I I think that uh, one other element we need to bring into this is that. The new CBA kicks in and not all the restrictions uh, that are coming with that for high spending teams are coming immediately, but the pressure on everybody in the league to get their books in order is immediate. Everybody needs to start planning for, for what the, the new CBA is going to do in the near term and in the not so long, long term. Meaning the chaos you alluded to earlier, Adam, I, I do think it's going to be an all-time high. Like I think draft night is going to be crazy. I think free agency period is going to be crazy, not just for free agency, but but with trades because teams are going to be looking to offload contracts. Um, teams are going to be looking to get their books in order. There may be bargains to be had. You know, a team that uh, you know again, this is just me. You know, uh, going off the top of my head here, but like if a team really believes in Jordan Poole, and the Warriors decide, well, we're not moving any of the core guys, but we need to shake up something, and we need to, and maybe we overpaid Jordan Poole a little, and he underachieved this past season, but maybe he's great as the leading man somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Maybe Jordan Poole can be had for a song because the Warriors are looking to to you know bring down their their tax bill and try to avoid some of the penalties that are coming in this new CBA. Um, and so, like, I'd be looking across the league at players like that who maybe you know are are priced a little too high for their production or the fit's not quite precise or simply that the team has too many pressures with regard to the luxury tax and, and their overall uh, cap situation. And so I think I, and I bring all that up to say, like for the nets, again, it's, it, I think it's all just opportunistic type of, of approach. You don't have to actively be looking to move Mikhail Bridges or Dorian Finney Smith or Royce O'Neal or anybody else. You're looking at this and, and it's, you know, you asked about free agency, like who could they get? I don't know right now. Like I, I, I truly don't, I, I don't, if, if they stood pat, if, if they moved, moved nobody mm. and just let it play out and said, we're just going to add to what we've got and, and see if we can push it forward just a little bit. Like they're not going to go all out to go try to acquire like Fred Van Vliet. I don't think, no. I don't think they're yeah. trading for Pascal Siakam. Um, I, I don't think they're trading for Jordan Poole for that matter, but who knows? Like, um, and again, if, if like that Blazer situation I alluded to, the speculation, speculative version of this that some folks around the league were talking about um, last week, if you had the opportunity to trade up and get the number three pick and that pick was Scoot Henderson, like that's a great guy to build around. Um, so it could be something like that. It could be something much more subtle. It's all, it's all going to be based on, to me, not so much what they are setting out to do versus what is available to do. I don't think there's a ton of urgency to, to move in any particular direction immediately. I think the, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, because you're speaking from the standpoint of, of the Nets fan base. I have to believe the Nets fan base is probably not that antsy, right? Like it was a huge, huge victory for the Nets franchise and, and fans of the Nets for them to have Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant pick them in the first place, even if it went the way it did under strange circumstances, you know, albeit. Um, but it didn't work out <laughs> to say the least. Um, <laughs> that that and, was, I think that's what Joe Sai said after it was yeah, all said and done. They came out. How do you think yeah, it, was, we tried. it didn't work out? Yeah. yeah. Give a shot. <laughs> Listen, I, I'll just say this. I mean, not to be too glib about these things. There aren't that many teams that can, 
be in a position to have two stars of that caliber pick them in the first place. Yep. I've said this about the Clippers and I'll say it about the Nets because people keep saying, well, the Clippers, it's now down to the last year of Kawhi and Paul George, unless they extend them. And is this whole era a bust? And I'm like, folks, and uh, listen, I'm, I'm speaking as, as somebody who covered the Lakers for seven years and then has been in New York for almost 20. And I've, so I've been in these two markets and I know how the Nets and, and Clippers function in res- with respect to their, their, you know, big brothers in the, in the markets. It was a huge victory for the Clippers to get the two guys of that caliber to pick them. Like you'll never see the Clippers the same way again, partially because they have Steve Ballmer instead of Donald Sterling as owner, but partially because two of the best players in the league chose the Clippers, the, the biggest joke in the league of a franchise for decades, two of the biggest stars in the league, including the reigning finals MVP at that moment picked them. That is significant. Even if they never make the finals, similarly for the nets, these two guys picked them. And then Harden picked, you know, chose to join them there. It it it, it didn't work out, <laughs> to say the least. But I, I I don't think you just dismiss the whole thing and call it all a bust and a joke. No, something significant happened there. And I and and again, I cannot mind read or speak for uh for for you and other Nets fans. But I I have to believe that there's a certain amount of um I don't know they 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 bought some time or bought some credibility by being able to. First, take a team that was absolutely devastated without any, you know, picks, anything, building it up the way they did, cashing it in to get the two stars, and now having to start over, but having made two, I think, very good trades. There's a plenty we could say to criticize uh, the front office and ownership during this last couple of years, and I wouldn't disagree with probably most of it. But on balance, being able to construct rosters, they've done a pretty good job in two different versions of it the rebuild version the star version and maybe they over indexed on the star version and maybe they gave them certainly did give them too much uh power over everything um hey lessons learned presumably but i don't think there is an urgency and you tell me if i'm wrong i don't think there's an urgency to say we got to rebuild this on the fly and we got to get back in business immediately or we're going to lose everybody like i don't I, i i think they have some time yeah, that was. I think that that was the yeah methodology. When you have the worst case scenario, the best case is you have superstars choose to want to come be a part of Brooklyn. The worst case scenario is the superstars choose that they don't want to be a part of it anymore. But in the back end of it, you have assets, you have draft capital that's years away into twenty seven and twenty nine. There, there should be, and we've preached this in the last you know handful of weeks, patience, because you're yeah. not the team that has pressure on them right now. There are teams that do, and only one is going to win the championship next year. The Brooklyn Nets are not going to be in those waters. They don't need to be compelled to get into those waters. And I think you made the good point about free agency in the market and saying the Brooklyn Nets can actually just sit and wait. And after the big names get moved, after the big deals get done, they may stand to benefit from just teams that want to get off some contracts or want to be able to get a little bit of future capital. So hopefully there's something there for the Nets to be able to build around what they currently have. But I hate to say it. This may not be the year that you worry about being all in on the Brooklyn Nets, right? And that's okay because I at least have a level of trust in Joe Sy from a money st- spending standpoint, Sean Marks from a asset building, finding value in players standpoint, th- that the future can still be bright, even if it's not at the level of championships with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, et cetera. That being the case, Howard Beck, we always appreciate you giving us a bit of your time here. Contributor for GQ Sports and obviously across the Locked On Podcast Network. You find him at Howard Beck over on Twitter. Thank you again, man, for taking the time. Appreciate you. Maybe we'll cross paths at the NBA draft next week. 
Sounds good, Adam. Thanks. And there you go. Another great conversation with Howard Beck. Check him out. Contributing to GQ Sports, obviously, and all across the Locked On Network. Coming up, we're going to close out this week, really probably digesting a lot of the information we had today and other news and notes coming out around the Brooklyn Nets. It's it's fascinating, man. I, I think we confirm that the Nets are not going to necessarily be big name hunting here this offseason or ahead of draft night, but there could be some opportunities. Could they be enticed to move off McHale? They even got a little bit sad there when, when, when Howard indicates that the long-term future of McHale in Brooklyn may not be cemented just by getting through a patient offseason here. Next week, we'll talk about the draft. We'll talk about moving up the board. We'll be here live with draft night coverage for you. So you get to YouTube, you get to the podcast feed, you subscribe, you turn on the alerts, and we remind you, we're five days a week, and we're free on all those great platforms, right? So in the Brooklyn Nets landscape, it's two things. One, we're incredibly proud of the work that we do covering the Nets, and we're incredibly appreciative of you guys supporting us. So continue to make us a part of your daily Brooklyn Nets routine. And with no Doug Norrie, there is no quote short of saying, I miss my friend and I can't wait until he's back so we can keep talking all things Brooklyn Nets basketball.